the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of ad free content every single morning. For access to all of these stories and plenty more, visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your first year subscription today. And of course, our friends at Balance Bridge Funding, providing cost friendly capital solutions to professional athletes since 2015. Balance Bridge has dedicated professionals who understand the industry and are ready to customize a repayment plan catered to your client's situation and financial objectives. Borrow wisely and cost-effectively, avoid those fees, and get no prepayment penalties if you pay it back early. Whether your client is under contract and simply needs a bridge against guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking to invest in any way on purchases, or looking to borrow for any other reason, let Balanced Bridge get a look, provide a solution, and be a resource for you today. Visit balancedbridge.com. Happy Monday morning. My name is Mike Gennetti. Back end of the show here, Scott Allen. Super fun Olympic discussion. Uh, some of the money that's made during the Olympics, after the Olympics, preceding the Olympics. We kind of took a, a, a different angle to it than I think many people casually watch or think about that kind of situation. But there's a, there's a decent chunk of, choint, chunk of cash to be made as an athlete. Maybe not so much in the USA, but some of these other countries. It's, an, it's a fascinating kind of situation across the world. And then, of course, a quick NBA update. Now that we have some of the finalized numbers on these contracts for free agency for some of these extensions, just a little bit of a deep dive into three or four of these names and some creativity in the NBA, maybe more so than, than ever, especially with some of the bigger names and uh, what could still be to come as well. So Scott and on the back end of the show. But first, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the Josh Allen contract a little bit more. For those of you who follow me on Twitter, I've done a lot of work on this already. There's a piece on spytrack.com that sort of breaks it down in word form, guarantees, cap flow, all that fun stuff. There's a video on spytrack.com, both on the homepage and on Josh Allen's player page. I just screencasted the contract, talked over it kind of line by line, breaking down what each line means, when there could be an out pattern, when the guarantees kick in, all that stuff. So if you're looking for more of like a, a visual approach to the contract, I have that on .com as well. But just for here, you know, certainly I've, I've been all over this on Twitter as much as possible as well. But just for right now, what does it mean? Um, what does it mean for Josh? What does it mean for the Bills? What does it mean for quarterback contracts? What does it mean for the NFL going forward? I think all those things are in play. So the Bills got what they wanted. You know, they, they got long term, maybe too long term, but we'll see how that works out in a few years. But they wanted the ability to be flexible. And Josh was certainly on board with that. He has said that outwardly in front of a microphone over the past couple of months that there's going to be a team friendly, you know, side to this contract. It's here. To me, that did mean it's going to be a bit of a Mahomes deal. So it's an eight-year total contract. So it's not 12 or 13. It's eight. Um, eight years, $284 million total. Of that, more than not, $164 million over the next five are locked in. I mean, there are, there's a fourth-year guarantee that's, that kicks in in like three days. That's strong. So what Josh gave up in early money, and he did. He's getting 95 over the first three years. That's about sixth or seventh on the current list in terms of cumulative cash earnings. So this isn't the greatest front-loaded contract of all time. You know, Dax, Dak's way up there because of his unique situation. This is an early extension. It's a long extension. And because of that, the Bills were afforded the opportunity to structure the cap how they needed. 
And it's, it's the right approach for both sides of this. This is a two to three year window of contention for the Buffalo Bills. Most teams just don't get more that more than that right now. So they're thinking right now, they're thinking in the present and Josh Allen's cap increased about 3.3 million this year and it went down 7 million next year. So there you go. And that's what extensions can do. They provide the ability to move cap around as needed. And those two years say it all right there. Things get a little bit more expensive in year three, but you're not even at 40 million in cap yet. And year three is extremely restructurable. If the bills get stuck, if they've got another contract they have to bring in, if if they have to bring in a high high price tight end or left tackle or something like that, or, or maybe they're replacing their safeties at that point, right? Micah Hyde and uh, and Jordan Poyer getting up there in age a little bit. Whatever they have, to, they might need to do to kind of keep this thing together in three years. They're going to have flexibility on this contract. It gets a little wonky after that, as you might imagine, right? North of forty million in twenty twenty four, north of fifty million in twenty twenty five. But if you look on the site, you'll see that's where I have my potential outline. There's no guaranteed money after 2025. Like I said, five years, 164.5 million is the potential on this. And then after that, yes, there's three years of term left. And generally speaking, you, you know, teams aren't willing to restructure at that point. But I have a feeling that even before that 2025 season, when that $51 million cap hit exists, if things are going well for Josh and or the Bills, that's going to be the line of demarcation that both sides are going to look at it and say, hey, let's rip the rest of this thing up. You know, there's minimal dead cap going forward. At that point, the option bonus only has 16 and a half million left on it in terms of dead cap. So it's pretty simple to roll that into a brand new start, lower that $51 million dead cap hit, get Josh Allen, you know, another signing bonus, option bonus situation where he's making cash in hand and everybody's happy going forward. Oh, by the way, prior to 2025, Josh will be 29 years old. It's not a bad time to extend, right? That dreaded 30 years is still in the forefront and uh, all things should be systems go for him. So what am I telling you? I'm telling you five for or four for 125 and then maybe a new deal. Maybe a new deal. Roll some of the guaranteed 2025 stuff into a brand new contract. Redo the cap flexibility a little bit. Give the bills some, a chance to move some things around and start over. So again, this could be you know, not what it appears to be on paper. And Buffalo is going to have the opportunity to do what they want with this. That is how they gain. That, that's how they win here. So yes, they're paying somebody $125 million minimum over the next four years. But they're going to be able to say, if they're happy, if they don't want to move anything, hey, man, we got you under contract for four more years. You know, you're going to have to deal with that for a little bit now before we actually think about ripping this thing up, starting over or moving on from you. Um, so the Bills got their term. Teams always want term. They want the ability to control the salary, control the process, and short contracts don't allow for that. And if you're Josh Allen, you're betting on yourself. You're betting on the fact that the next four years are going to go really well, and then you're going to be able to sit down with the team once again and say, let's do it all over again. You know, Inflated numbers, inflated cap, all that good stuff. And uh, let's do this one more time, possibly two more times. Josh Allen could be in line for that th- three major contract extension career. Something I think we'll see Aaron Rodgers have, Russell Wilson have, certainly Matt Stafford got it, one of the uh, the Hall of Famers in terms of the business of football. But Allen's in that conversation if things go well. Like I said, 2024-ish, between 2024 and 2025, that could be the first time we hear rumblings of, uh, it might be time to do it again. So 150 guaranteed, but like I said, four for 125 is the minimum bar. 
five for one sixty four point five is probably where things really start to get um, complicated in terms of cap, cash flow, age, all that sort of stuff. But it's a heck of a deal. It's the biggest one for Buffalo ever by one hundred and sixty one million dollars. <laughs> so. Uh, not the kind of franchise that's doling out contracts left and right. Haven't had the opportunity to do so with a quarterback since Jim Kelly. And certainly, you know, back in those days, the money wasn't even close to what we're talking about now. So this is historic for the franchise. You know, this is a, a big step forward for the Bills. And uh, they need some winning now to go with it to make it all worthwhile, for sure. All right. Let's talk some Olympic money and NBA structure with Scott Allen. But first, today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, dedicated to serving the unique wealth management needs of athletes and top professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment strives to bring sports professionals the financial solutions they need, including access to financing to support prospective NFL and NBA athletes through the draft process. Find out more about the pre and post draft loan program at morganstanley.com slash GSE. That's morganstanley.com slash GSE. All right, Scott, welcome back to the show. Happy Monday. The Tokyo Olympics are done. You've got some fun facts for us, right? Yeah, I do. I, I dove way too deep into Olympic medals and how much the Olympic committee pays for each of the Olympic medals. I dove so deep that I went all the way back to 1984 to get some career, quote unquote, career earnings off of these medals. Um, so I, I've got some lists, I got some data, we can dive in a couple different directions here. Laying on me. I mean, this is supposed to be an amateur sport, but I, there, there's gotta be a decent <laughs> amount of money in this, right? I mean, yeah. So, so I mean, certainly for the networks and certainly for the countries, but I, I would imagine that some of these athletes walk away from this thing pretty damn famous, right? Yeah. And, and we're going to dive into some of the NIL stuff that I was, uh, diving into in, in addition to the metal money that athletes get paid. So let's start there, Scott, let's start, let's, let's start there just as a, as a precursor. What were the U S paydays for a gold, silver and bronze in 2020? So for in 2020 for a gold, it's 37,500. <laughs> a silver is 22,500 and a bronze is 15,000. It just seems and low. And, and prior to that, from 1984 all the way up to the 2016 Summer Olympics, the pay had been the exact same from 84 all the way to 2016, which was 25000 for a gold, oh, wow. 15 for a silver, and 10 for a bronze. Now, in comparison to some of these other countries, when you can convert their value to U.S. dollars, you have some countries that are paying – uh, upwards of seven hundred and forty thousand dollars for a gold medal. That's Singapore, right? That, and that was Singapore. I think I've seen and that. Then you ha- and there's like five or six from reported countries that have that I was able to find that had money in between there. We were U.S. is like fifth, sixth, or seventh somewhere in there, depending on where you find your data. But these values uh, for the thirty-seven and a half, two and a half, and fifteen k, those values were altered with the 2018 winter Olympics. And after I dove into the summer Olympics, I even dove into the winter to see winter to see who overall in Olympic history, who's earned the most off of these medals and comparing winter versus the summer. And, uh, like I said, I, I dove real deep and, um, 
so it, it but it was really interesting to see uh, you know obviously swimming is going to be the heaviest because of how many events some of these athletes can go into um, to, to earn the money off of that so dealing with the the Tokyo Olympics specifically we're, we're Caleb Dressel mm-hmm. out of all of his medals that he earned he's earning a hundred and eighty seven thousand five hundred he was tops for the u.s off of all of his medals this year not to mention that dude's gonna have swimming sponsorships up the wazoo (laughs) because he's crazy marketable right katie ledecky one hundred twenty thousand, and then suny lee and a few others were at seventy five thousand to round off top three uh yeah track and field is a bit of a disappointment right yeah, it was in comparison. The, the men did not get as many medals as, mm-hmm. you know, some were anticipating. The women had more medals than the men in that case. Um, did the women out earn so, the men? Do you know that answer? I, I do not know that. I could run the metrics. Um, yeah. Let's see if we can get that ready for a tweet or something, right? <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Absolutely. And, um, and, I, and I can do it based on overall women and versus men out yeah. of all the sports. Yeah, so team I, sports I, and I'll all get, that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely get that for you. Uh, so I, I ran the numbers to compare just how much more with the increase in money that the uh, com- Olympic Committee is paying. So for gold medals in total for the Tokyo Olympics, $4.2 million will be paid out as opposed to in Rio, which was $3.45 million. Sure. So significant increase because of the value that they're adding on to the gold medal itself. Uh, silver, $2.34 million compared to 795000 in Rio. And then bronze, $1.11 million versus $690,000 in, uh, in, in Rio. So I guess we can't say they aren't at least you know upping the ante a little bit. It's weird that they did it during well, a pandemic situation, but it was 25 well, it, years it, coming, I guess, or what, 40, 35 years coming. My goodness. Yeah. And like I said, this, this actually, the increase started with the 2018 Winter Olympics mm-hmm. when I went through and found that was the, the increase. But when President, President Obama was in, in, in the presidency, they actually signed a, uh, a, law, I guess you would call it, mm-hmm. where the the money that is earned from these medals is not taxable for anyone that has earnings less than $1 million. Okay. So Kevin Durant, all those guys that are on the basketball team who are earning way over $1 million, they would get taxed on this, this money. If you're you know, Jacoby, who is a high school athlete, and this is all that she's going to make off of it. She's not going to get taxed off of this money that she earned in the Tokyo Olympics. And they call it the victory tax. Um, So that was something that I found in my research. I found found that. I mean, I know Kevin Durant's making 50 million a year, but don't you think we we could just eliminate the tax on the gold medal? (laughs) I mean, mean, what are we doing here? But... I guess it's considered income, so they've they made that yeah, rule but it's that earned, it's, just, <laughs> it's like I, I it's like it. service time income. It is. <laughs> I mean, my God. So so. By the, the way, I, I know you watch a lot of the, the USA basketball games. I'm not going down that path, but to your point, I was watching the I was watching the basketball game. I think it was was it the gold medal game. I think it was. 
and they made mention of how none of these athletes are getting paid. They're just here for the love of their country and the love of their sport. And they're like, Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Durant is making nothing to be here right now. And he's, he's playing his heart out. And it was the exact same day that Kevin Durant signed, <laughs> signed a yeah. $50 million extension with the Nets. And I'm like, you know what? This probably isn't the right time to, to give him like a victory lap on this. You know what I mean? No, he's, he's all, I think Kevin Durant's all good. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Especially when they're getting, you know, sponsorships, everything else on yeah, top of it. This is how good in, Kevin in Durant is, by the way. In the tweet that announced his extension by Woj, they linked to Kevin Durant's company. That never yes, happens. Yeah. I mean, I Kevin Durant is so damn powerful that like his own personal side of business gets involved in his in his basketball world. That's crazy. So. So, so this is a good transition. So I, I, I've been diving in even more with some of this NIL stuff, which you've been having people on and having the conversation. So I looked up how many college athletes earned a medal and the NCAA actually had a list of every college athlete that earned a medal in the Tokyo Olympics, 171 athletes in college. So why that's significant is the NIL kicked in this summer. So now not only are they getting paid for the medal, they can jump on that, that bandwagon and market themselves now that they're in college and use that to their advantage. Now, subsequently high school athletes do not fall under the NIL laws as of right now from in what mo- I've understood in most in, states, yeah, or, in most states. So like Jacoby, who's out of Alaska, I don't think they have any NIL stuff, so she'll get paid for that that medal, mm-hmm. but she can't go off of anything for her likeness because she's still in high school. But these college athletes like Suni Lee, who's going to Auburn, uh, I saw a report that in her career she could earn potentially up to like ten million dollars off of her likeness, sure. and in from everything with social media. Yeah. So, so that, that's the, the point. The Scott. That, that, that's what it's all about. Even those, especially those high schoolers, I would imagine just getting the recognition yeah. now turns yourself into the situation where you can explode your social brand. And, and that's what everybody's looking for anyway. So the second that, that, that these kids walk into college and they become nil, nil exempt or, uh, uh, uh available eligible. If you're rocking $1.2 million fo- fo- followers, you're good. You're good. All the local community people are going to be in. The big sponsorships are going to come. So yeah, the Olympics was always going to be a major platform for this. And honestly, it, it has been in a lot of cases. But I think to your point, would you say 171 college athletes? Correct. I think now you're going to see a huge percentage of them get something from this. Whereas maybe back 10 to 15 years ago, it was only going to be what? A handful, five of them, tr- truly, like five or six people actually carried enough clout to be able to go and do something about it from a sponsorship standpoint. The, you know, you, you kind of left it out, but the the buildup to become an Olympic athlete is miserable. It's like minor league baseball. You know what I mean? Nobody's paying I do. you. I do. No, nobody's. You can't work. You're doing this stuff 20 hours a day. Your, your nutrition situation is a disaster for a lot of these sports. So... It's all about sponsorships and agents paying you, whatever, you know, that kind of stuff, marketable, marketability. So I don't think anybody has been more ready or are already involved in the name image likeness system than Olympic athletes or prospective Olympic athletes. So the fact that they can now go back home with some sort of medal and use that as fuel to the fire, it's great to see. And I think this is going to be something that really becomes a thing. And, and, and quite frankly, Scott, 
it may it may promote the Olympic athlete more, right? If people, yes. do you agree that maybe the Olympics has been much less revered over the past 10, 12 years? I think it has. I, I know the ratings are way yeah. down. I know just talking to people, most people don't give a rat's behind. But if you're an athlete and we start to see some of the trickle-down effect of social media and things like that that are coming from these athletes... And people realize, hey, if I go and, and get my name and face attached to that situation, regardless of whether how I how I do there, I'm set. I have well, I'll it, get the following I need then to make the money I need going forward. I, I think that's the way to go about it. Yeah, and to that point, the fact that on the broadcast they're saying Suni Lee is going to Auburn. Right. I mean, that's huge marketing for Auburn huge. because now people are going to associate her with that college and. The timing of these Olympics and mm-hmm. the NLL situation, if this Olympics happened a year ago, yeah. it it wouldn't have the effect for these college athletes that it's going to have in the next six months to it's a year. It's also so specific. So think about just skateboarding. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, we, we think, well, that you know, those guys and gals, they're never going to get a, a MasterCard sponsorship. You're probably right. But there's a whole skateboarding world, all this apparel and merchandise and gear and stuff like that that now these people are going to become the faces of. That's just how it works. I mean, Tony Hawk can't do this shit forever, Scott. <laughs> he just right, can't. Exactly. Right? But this is how you do it. This is how you get, quote unquote, viral in your specific niche, more so than I think any other situation can do for you. So, you know, making the money off the medals, whatever it is. I mean, we can say that other countries are, are overpaying for medals because I, I guess that's let's finish with that conversation. What is Singapore getting from paying somebody $750,000 for a medal? Is it just that they get so little international attention as it is that that singular event happening, it means that much to them from a dollar value standpoint? Is that what it is? And then and in America, it's just diluted, you know? Yeah, it, it, that there's a good point about that because the amount of athletes that we send to the Olympics compared to a Singapore right. or... Can't think of any the other top paying off the top of my head, but the fact that we send, you know, 650 athletes and come away with the most medals, maybe you're right. Maybe it is more diluted, and they don't want to have to pay out as much for that. They don't reason. need to. It's not that they don't have to or can't. They don't need to because you know Suni Lee winning gold is great for two weeks for America, great for NBC for two weeks, but it's Monday now. It's gone. It's gone. Not to her. She's going to value off this, but America right. won't. <laughs> right. And that's a great point. If you're in, say, Singapore and you win a gold medal, yeah. you're going to be idolized for years because you're yeah. one in a million that have won a medal for that country. You're right. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, before we transition, I ran the metrics real quick for women versus men. Oh, nice. So I have women, men, and then I have mixed category because some of the categories have men and women. So, but straight up women earnings, $4.56 million, men, $2.73 million. And then the mixed category was 352 K. So if you you mix, so, but it's almost, you know, almost double women to men. I mean, the women won beach volleyball. Indoor volleyball, they you know they water bronze polo. in soccer, water polo, uh, almost all the team sports they were a factor, and the men just didn't it, have it. 
basketball, three on three basketball, right? I mean, right. And in the, these dollar values that I'm giving, I'm associating a gold medal value to each of those players on those. That's what I'm saying. The team sports were dominated by the women. Yeah. It's a a big deal. So good for them. Wow. Doubled up the men. There you go. Hang your hat on that. Ladies, take that back to the, uh, the bank U S women's national soccer team. I know they're back in court for their situation. (laughs) That's long needed to get resolved. So hopefully there's fuel to the fire and hopefully those kind of numbers get out there, Scott, because that's important. Yeah. You, you want to take a guess at the all-time Olympic earner? Oh, it's got to be Phelps. 19- yeah, it is. It's 640, $640,000 off of the medals. Yeah. He's done pretty yeah. okay for himself, right? He probably Absolutely. made that just going to Tokyo for two weeks and doing what he did as an analyst. You know what I mean? I mean, it's yep. good to be Michael Phelps. No question about that. Uh, all right. That was fun. I mean, it wasn't the best Olympics ever. It was a, it was terrible without fans. Absolutely dreadful without fans. So um, my God, let's keep fans in sports in America, please. Do whatever it takes to keep that going. Um, basketball. You've been busy. Keith Smith's yes. been busy. It's not so much that you're breaking new information at this point. You're kind of confirming previously agreed to things. But with that comes some caveats comes some specifics, comes some situations that aren't what they seem to be. Something I deal with in the NFL quite a bit, right? Um, Chris Paul, I think is probably the, the, a good place to start. Everybody freaked out. Four years, 120 million. Holy God. Why would you pay a guy <laughs> that old that much money? Of course, you're going to opt out of $44 million when there's 120 sitting there. What kind of contract did Chris Paul actually sign, Scott? Yeah, so... Like you said, four years, 120 million, but there's only 75 million guaranteed. And what's that? Two and a half years. Yeah. Two and a half years. So the first two years are fully guaranteed. And then the third year is $15.8 million uh, guaranteed. And the last year is non-guaranteed. He has some trigger dates when those would become guaranteed that you can check out on his page. They're interesting but, too because they're right around like these moratorium periods and things like that. It's basically right from, it's basically yeah, right like before. a player team option. Um, whereas if he falls off a truck, production wise or health wise, you know, there's no chance he's getting to 120. No chance. No, but but when you like you said, he opted out of 44, so he opted out of 44 to get 75 million guaranteed. Right. I mean. Right. That, in his sense, with the age that he's at, that's good business. And if you get to that third year and... But think about it from this this approach, because I thought about that that angle too, Scott. Yes, he didn't guarantee himself $100 million like we thought he was going to. But by taking less, this year specifically, they bring in Levert. They bring it back campaign, which sounds like it would be taking away from Chris Paul. Shamit. Sorry, Shamit. Not, not Levert's Indy. They bring in Shamit. They bring back Campaign, which sounds like that could be, you know, making a dent on Chris Paul's production, and it will. But it's also going to keep Chris Paul healthier. It's also going to keep him, you know, maybe thirty minutes a game versus forty to forty-two, and let him ramp up at playoff time when they need him the most. I, I think it's brilliant. It's a little bit of Tom Brady esque, right? Take a little bit less. Let the team do its thing around you. You need depth. This is a marathon, not a sprint, especially when he, you're his age and, and you're putting the, the miles on that he has. I, I think it's the right move because, well, because the point is, Scott, what is the, what is the three-year payout? Is it, is it 90? I mean, what's the, let's call three years practical in this regard. Mm-hmm. 
right? Yeah, so, it's about so, that. Because so it's if you're taking less up front and guarantees, let's let's treat this like an NFL contract. If your guarantee at signing may, be, may, may not be the number you want, but it allows you from a health standpoint and a team standpoint to be competitive and healthier to get to that third year, then it's good business. I think it's good business for Chris Paul. Yeah, if, if he plays those three years out, it, it's an exact 90. Yeah. And like, like I said, these these salaries are 30.8, 28.4, 30.8, and then 30 for the full non-guaranteed in the last year. These, these are values that towards the end, if they had to buy him out. ties with him, yeah. 15.8 million. And, you know, depending on if that does happen, you know, and you sh- if they wanted to stretch it out, it, it's no coincidence that the they took that extra fourth year to stretch out the money yeah. so that. $30 million is a lot easier to be tradable than $44 million. It's a good headline. And 120 is a good headline. <laughs> 120 is a very good headline. But the other point I want to make is the values that are here are going to help the team in the next three to four years. If Paul isn't on the team and they have to move on from him or they have to take on that dead cap, they're probably going to extend eight and they're probably going to extend bridges. Yeah. Booker's already there, and who knows, they may extend him more. So they're they're potentially allowing themselves to avoid a detrimental tax that sure. they may get hit with in you know three years from now when all these extensions are going to really ramp up. So I, I am not surprised by the structure itself. I I almost thought, and Keith and I talked off offline that it would be smart if they were going to do the. Eight percent raises, or in this case, I was thinking do an eight percent decrease, so all of your money is in the front, and then in the back end, you may not have as much, and you can deal with it as you need to. So they sort of did that. Um, I don't, so, I don't understand the the structure of this one. Can you kind of explain it from an NBA nerd standpoint? So it's thirty point eight, then twenty eight point four, then back to thirty point eight with a half guarantee. Uh, why the twenty eight point four next year, Scott? Uh, I guess they just wanted to have a, a lower value yeah, in, in that year. Why would Paul agree to that? You know? I mean, if that's going to be his last year of basketball, it's very possible that 2022 is his last year of basketball. Why would you... Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I got the business hat on. Let's move on. Another very interesting uh, specific contract structure, Duncan Robinson. I think a lot of people saw five for 90 and went, whoa, what are what's Miami doing here? Especially with the you know, the incoming Kyle Lowry, they made a couple more moves as well to sort of get this thing back on track in Miami. By the way, it's not 90 million. Let's say that out loud, even though it's going to be reported as 90 million. In our system, he's an $89.91 million contract. Why is that? (laughs) That's That's how the cash fell. It didn't come out to the exact 90 that, you know, sometimes the dollar amounts work out to. But it also is not fully guaranteed. Yeah. It's only he, the guaranteed amount is seventy nine point nine one million dollars. He actually uh, has ten million not guaranteed in the final year of the contract, which is an early termination option, which is only nine point eight eight eight. So let's guaranteed. break this down. Two two things. I, I got a two part question as an, an amateur MBAer. Is there really a difference between early termination and player option? There is to a very specific entities where if it was, if for like a trade kicker, 
In this case, it's guaranteed. It's player options are guaranteed until they're exercised or declined. Whereas the early termination option, it's guaranteed, but it they can terminate the contract and nothing is guaranteed if they were. Does is in, it a, is it something about the cap holds and all that too, or no? Or no, that's all it, the same. It's more of the the guaranteed entity of the contract. So, all right, so what I'm hearing option. is there's really no difference. <laughs> um, they're, they're, at the end like of the said, day, he's got the option first. It, essentially, this is a mutual option is what we see a lot in Major League Baseball, Scott. Two parties each have a say in this. If one of those parties says no, it's a no, right? Well, And that's and, essentially and, what Duncan Robinson has here, correct? Especially in this case, because he has the option of opting out going into that season, the 25-26 season, if he does not terminate the contract, the 9.888 million guaranteed is already there. Yeah. And then it but doesn't... But that's all that's guaranteed. Guarantee, yeah. But it fully guarantees two days after the moratorium ends. So around Ju- uh, July 8th or so, if everything goes back to normal. So it, it it is sort of like a mutual option because it's already has some guaranteed, but... If he does not terminate the uh, option, then Miami would have the right to either is there a benefit at that point or okay so so if he guarantee. terminates the option, Scott, then the nine point eight eight guarantee just goes away, right? He has opted out of the contract. If Correct. he if he opts in to that final season, and he the only way on out July is Miami 1st. cuts him and they keep yep. a nine point eight million dollar dead cap hit. So he'd be doing right. the heat a solid by opting out, correct? But if they want to trade him, like sign and trade him, right? They need him to opt in, correct? Well, a sign and trade, he would have to opt out so that he would become a free agent. If they wanted but to trade opt- him on the 19-8, I, I get you. Okay, it's a fascinating contract. It, it really is a mutual option, which I see a lot in baseball and a couple of the other sports that I cover, Scott. Is this kind of the first iteration of this you've seen where both sides have a say? I I thought so, and then I asked Keith, and he he made a good point. Bertans with Washington actually has a similar situation where he has an early termination option. It's sixteen million dollars in the uh, in total, but only five million is guaranteed. It becomes fully guaranteed for if he plays seventy five percent of the games in the previous season. Oh, so that's incentive based. So, I like that. So it's a s- slightly different structure where it's incentive based versus just triggering it based on a date. Scott, are we seeing a lot more creativity? Incentives, uh, you know, opt-out options, team, team more, maybe more team control in that regard? Because it's been very, very player-heavy for years now. Are we seeing a little bit more of, of teams kind of, you know, reducing the risk? I know the Embiid contract has that. I know Kyrie's contract has had that in the past where, you know, he's got to play X, to X games or, 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 or whatnot to get his full money. Are we seeing a little bit more of that or not so much? The exact incentives we haven't seen yet, they're TBD for these new contracts. But what I can say is we are starting to see teams structure contracts where we're seeing non-guaranteed or team options, sort of what the New York Knicks have done for the last few years. We're starting to see more teams sort of follow suit with that. Phoenix is a, a great example with, you know, 
Chris Paul that we just talked about, the non-guaranteed full in the last year, partial in the third. Campaign, his third year is partially guaranteed for $2 million, which would trigger like the day before the moratorium would end end up happening in the 23-24 season. Nader, he has a team option in the second year. Scott, so I, I just clicked on three contracts randomly off our free agent tractor, tracker. Mike Conley, half guaranteed in the last year. Yep. Spencer Didweedy, half guaranteed in the last year. Like it's yep. it's just the way we're going. So it, it, it's it, a little bit more NFL y here, isn't it? Where these contracts aren't exactly what they appear and there are ways out. We may need some potential outs in the NBA here. <laughs> yeah, we, we may be getting to that point. And, and subsequently on the on the high end, you know, with some of the and we've talked about this with the rookie extensions and some of these other massive extensions that have come through, like Trey Young. He has a, a player option, early termination option in that last year, in addition to a 15% trade bonus. You know, we've seen last year where we talked about there's player options in those fifth years. So we're, we're seeing players that are at the very, very top or coveted are able to get these player options. And then you have other teams that are trying to uh, mold the contract so that when we get into the 22, 23 24 because we don't know where the CBA is going to go. They're leaving wiggle room for, you know, luxury tax space or cap space where they're structuring non-guaranteeds or team options. And, and we saw that with a lot of the Knicks contracts again this year, all those contracts that they signed Fournier Rose, um, those four, uh, two other contracts. I can't think of off the top of my head right now. Nerlin Wells. Yep. Yep. They all had team options or non-guaranteeds in the, in that fourth, third year. So we're seeing more of those teams that are trying to make sure they're jockeying for position. And then, you know, you do still see some player options. You see, you know, PJ Tucker in Miami, he had a, a player option. You've got Bobby Portis in Milwaukee's got a player option, but those values are, are low monetary value. Like Bobby Portis's second year is four and a half million. And uh, PJ Tucker, he was at. Um, I'm trying to find it here. I lost it, but uh, you know, you're, you're seeing the change play- 14 over yeah. two, yeah. Yep, yeah, right. Seven, seven point three five. So you you see some of these player options with lower value. So if they opt out, you know, they, they may be. Or if they opt in, they may be tradable. If they opt out, then they're. And that's the point. That's bad. the point. That's the takeaway is everybody wants to be in control, but also tradable from both sides, from both sides. They want, they want to be able to pay their guys fairly and they'll add a couple of years to the back end of a contract now to do it because it also means that there's, that they have the control to trade them, the ability to trade them. Nobody's ever getting to free agency ever again in this league. Let's be perfectly honest. The, the second yeah. that they actually get there, they're going to be signed and traded. It's just going to happen unless the CBA changes things and you know, down the road. But it's just this is not a free agent league anymore by any means. Well, and that is an absolute great point because look at what's happening with Laurie Marketing in yeah. Chicago. He he is he played the game of musical chairs and he's the one that's left out right now yeah. because there is no cap space to sign a uh the offer sheets, uh, yeah. you know, an offer sheet and now the report was he was looking to potentially go to New Orleans with a sign and trade. Well, the Lonzo Ball hit late last night is official, so he can't necessarily he could still do a sign and trade. But you know there were reports that maybe if he did a sign and trade, they were just going to loop him in on that and and restructure it. But 
you know, he may just have to sign the qualifying offer or take a deal with Chicago. So, you know, you make a great point because there is no quote unquote cap space or very few teams. Teams aren't operating that way. They're not even thinking about it anymore. And there, as Keith alluded to last week, teams are opting to go towards that sign and trade more now because it is sort of a workaround for not having the cap space. They can team up with another team. I mean, there's nothing to be afraid of anymore. If you get stuck in a bad contract, you just trade that player in a first round pick to Oklahoma city. That's just how the league works. Now Oklahoma city is like, they, they basically work for the NBA. Like they're not even their own functioning franchise. They're like a mediator. And to a certain extent before that Atlanta was in that, in that space. They took on Melo. They took on Clint Capella. (laughs) They took on whoever else they were taking on everything else and look at where they are now. They've sort of restructured and we'll see where Oklahoma city goes. Speaking of Atlanta, I got two points to finish this NBA stuff off. You're going to appreciate both of them. I think public service announcement from Scott and Mike. Trey Young did not sign a $207 million contract extension. <laughs> Trey yes. Young, either did SGA, speaking of Oklahoma City. Yes. It, it's not $207 million. On our website, it's not going to show $207 million. There's a note that says that it could be $207 million, but for now, it's $172.5. If he makes the All-NBA, if he's the MVP, if he makes an All-Defensive team, either of those guys, SGA or Trey Young, it, it will automatically increase to $207 million on the Supermax 30%. But as of now, the base value of that extension is 172.5. So yes. we're not going to report it as if it's likely that they're going to be super maxed. That's insane. Okay, that's, <laughs> It's insane. That, that's we're not going to project that's an all-NBA berth for anybody here. So uh, you can, you know, I'll, I'll happily answer that question 77 more times every time I, t- I say that it's not $207 million on Twitter. But um, just so you understand how that works, it's not likely that they get super maxed yet. And my second point is this, and I have to say it. I'm I'm a little bummed that we don't yet have confirmation on DeMar DeRozan's contract, Scott. But it was reported as three years, $85 million to the Chicago Bulls. He was one of those free agents that actually got a pretty good payday, we think. It's possible that that last year is not guaranteed, as we discussed here. But it's important because if you remember way back in the day, DeMar DeRozan with Toronto Raptors, Kyle Lowry with Toronto Raptors, I'm sure you noticed this. So Kyle Lowry's official numbers with the Miami Heat, Scott, are what? Uh, I got to find them now. Three years. Caught me off guard. $85 million, $2. Yes. Isn't that funny? How 85 is Kyle Lowry's official contract with the Miami Heat. That ain't an accident, Scott. Okay. At some point during this negotiation... Because DeMar DeRozan signed quickly. He was one of the first free agents to sign out in Chicago there after they acquired Ball. There's no question that Kyle Lowry and or his agent said, whatever that guy's getting, we need more. <laughs> and, the, and the Miami Heat came back with $2, a cup of coffee. All right, we'll pay a DeMar DeRozan's contract plus a cup of coffee. That's not an accident. I see that. We just saw it with uh, offensive linemen. Did you see that with Trent Williams and David Bakhtiari? It's basically no, it's $1. $1. There's a $1 difference between their contracts because clearly the goal was to be the next man up. And, and, the, and that team said, all right, we'll give it to you by $1. So in our contract system, all the math has to be funky because there's an odd number that we're dividing by for all of our things. And that's what happened with Kyle Lowry here. $28.333 million per year because of $2 added to his contract. 
I yeah. love it. I love the gamesmanship. Yeah, I wonder how much gamesmanship is in there, or I can poo-poo it and say maybe it was rounding and it just happened to be, but no. maybe the gamesmanship was there to Heck say, no. all right, I'm going to... Former gonna teammates that. that hit the market at the same time, no way. This is absolutely on purpose. You're never going to tell me otherwise. Even if Kyle Lowry calls me on the phone and says, nah, it's just, it's just how the math worked out, I'm going to say, you're wrong, man. You're dead no, wrong. Somebody it, it, got into this head, into this situation and said, we got to make more than, than DeMar DeRozan. So it's good stuff. I absolutely love it. No, I, I agree. It, I wouldn't be surprised if the DeRozan contract comes back similar with... Oh, what do, didn't with do they renegotiate now for $3? Because it, it, it's not finalized yet, right? That, that would absolutely be hysterical. Oh, God, because now this I'm voting not for going this. Official Make yet. it happen, Chicago. Make it happen. Yeah, Finalize be, an extra three dollars into this thing just to make just to win the game. All right, good stuff, Scott. Thanks. My thanks to the athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for forty percent off. Check out balancedbridge.com if you're looking to secure your funds, future contracts, current guarantees, or any reason to borrow money in the sports and entertainment industry. And of course, Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, putting together financial solutions long-term for these prospective athletes and current professionals in the entertainment industry as well. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast.